0: You can't avoid them by social distancing. You can't kill them with disinfectant wipes. They don't die on cardboard. You can't even see them under a microscope. They're the cybersecurity threats spawned by scummy hackers taking advantage of the pandemic disruption. We get an update from someone who's been following this professionally, the Vice President of Public Sector and Healthcare at CrowdStrike, James Yeager. Mr. Yeager, good to have you on.
1: Thanks for having me, Tom.
0: There do seem to be a fresh batch of cyber threats Related to all of this, what do you see going on?
1: We've certainly seen an increase in activity surrounding cyber criminals in the wake of COVID-19. There's been a rather considerable spike in some rather nefarious cyber activity. You know, we're tracking who's behind it, you know, what's their objective. And we're doing our best to try and communicate to both the most sophisticated cyber professionals as well as the layperson uh, what their approach should be, uh, given that we've got a little bit of a new normal here from a professional uh, and operating model. But uh, the the threat is real and uh, the activity is significant.
0: Well, let's start with the objectives. What seem to be what it is that these people are after in the first place?
1: Yeah, so I, I think we can kind of categorize it in a general sense to activity that's consistent with what we've seen with other national, regional, and global events, such as what we've seen with elections and what we've seen uh, in recent months uh, resulting from rising tensions in the Middle East, uh, specifically in Iran. And really, it's just a considerable amount of disinformation, right? These campaigns are aimed at creating a distraction for the employees, for the users, if you will, allowing them to kind of take their eye off the ball, uh, let their guard down, and then seemingly the adversary is able to kind of sneak in the back door, if you will, while no one's looking, while people are asleep at the wheel and then looking to do their harm. And, And the activity that we've observed you know, really generally comes from two primary tactics. Uh, the first is phishing and the other is kind of targeting remote services. And we've we've observed some very specific activity in each of those arenas that I'm happy to elaborate for you on.
0: Yeah, I think phishing is the well-known one. And for some reason, maybe people are more gullible <laughs> when they're teleworking. But what about the remote services? That's really what's blossomed so much in this teleworking yeah. phase. yeah.
1: Yeah, no no doubt about it. And, you know, so it is possible that companies and CrowdStrike is no different here. Uh, We're certainly subscribing to this as well, since we're a software as a service company, but it's likely that companies are going to increase the use of software as a service and cloud-based remote connectivity services in order to sustain uh, operability and enable and support employees while they work from home. So things like standing up remote working services could you know, certainly pose a potential security risk when combined with the possible human element and the human error-enabled security lapses that you just talked about when you made reference to phishing. So the criminal actors in particular are going to continue to seek and collect credentials for these services, potentially allowing them to gain access to these SaaS accounts and to the organizational data that's in the victim sites. So e-crime uh, is, is really in, in the notion of big game hunting if you're not familiar, so you know what we've seen historically from CrowdStrike is that e-criminals were working in a very isolated manner relative to their campaigns, and the and the gains and the returns from the, some of their campaigns were very limited uh, financially, right? So not not a not a big lure for them. So what they've started to do is effectively band together and a more broader strategic campaign with ransomware um, being the the primary threat vector. And so e-crime, big game hunting and ransomware in particular leverages remote desktop protocols, so RDP, to do brute forcing or password spraying for initial entry. And as many of the more sophisticated big game hunting actors remain highly active at at the current time, they're likely going to continue to attempt to capitalize on Possible staffing issues, staffing shortages, staffing disruptions in this kind of new normal. And that's going to bring a lot of complexity to the organizations as they deal with new compromise and, you know, employee devices, whether it's government furnished equipment or BYOD.
0: We're speaking with James Yeager, vice president of public sector and health at the cybersecurity company CrowdStrike. So it sounds like the attacks can really be two attacks in one you can get the ransomware, but you can also get the data, even if you didn't go after the ransomware also.
1: Yeah, that, that's absolutely right. And again, you know, the the objective is going to vary uh, based on the activity originating from the adversary or the adversary group, uh, right? You know, e-criminal actors are going to be generally more focused on being disruptive and seeking financial gains. Uh, when you look at you know, targeted intrusions relative to nation state activity, you're going to see highly destructive attacks. And again, you know, I, I think while we're seeing some common themes around phishing, targeted remote services, even vishing and robocall and technical support scams, you know, a lot of these behaviors and TTPs are not altogether uncommon with what we've seen of late and over a historical uh, stretch of time, Tom. But really, it's about the reach that they gain because this is truly a global event.
0: And it sounds like it's possible that some of the disinformation campaigns you mentioned could maybe soften up people for what comes next, which is phishing or some other type of follow-up. I'm thinking of the story about the uh, that even snared the New York Times uh, about a company that had allegedly created a two-day or two-hour test or something for coronavirus. It was false. It got picked up by national media and on some of the wire services. Could having people believe that then lead them to be more gullible to, hey, here's where you can get it?
1: Yeah, absolutely, right? I mean, it, there's there's a lot of time, attention, and energy being paid to this particular topic for reasons that are obvious to all of your listeners. Um, but but again, these activities, regardless of what the entry point or the infection point might be, uh, are, are really going to kind of target the fear and and ultimately look to sensationalize uh, the, the user community, right? So, it, you know, a lot of us have grown accustomed to working from home, right? But certainly we're seeing an exponential rise um, in the use of personal devices, uh, in email for business continuity, even handling sensitive information, You know, when when corporate assets are now being provisioned and proper deployment and configuration of some of these remote services is in question, all of that puts you know a rather uh, burdensome tax on the layperson who isn't accustomed to working from home. And if you're dealing with personal livelihood, if you're a primary or sole provider of income to your family and your loved ones, and 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 there's fear that your paycheck may be in harm's way. If you don't operate with the same continuity and same consistency as if you were working in the office, you're going to do whatever you need to do to be efficient and effective in your day-to-day work environment. But now you're at home, so you're going to take some shortcuts.
0: And so your best advice for agency and corporate CISOs and CIOs, the people responsible for the safety here, what should they be doing now?
1: Well, you know, there's a lot of different variables here. I, I think it certainly starts with taking a step back and hopefully, you know, we're, we're several weeks into this now. So hopefully these steps back have, have been taken already, but taking a look at your security policies, right? How enabled are you uh, to protect against some of these threat vectors for a increase in remote workforce and telework, right? Are you able to enforce basic policies around secure Wi-Fi and VPN? Are you able to enforce uh, other security uh, hygiene factors like two factor authentication. Um, you know we we don't have some of the same security controls that we have at home that we have in the office. We don't have a you know you don't have a, a a massive firewall in web gateway you know sitting in your home office, neither do I. So as we get away from those conventional security confines that help protect us, we've got to really examine if our security policies and security controls, are there to prevent us from hurting ourselves, whether it's incidental or or otherwise. The other thing that I would say is it's it's highly essential that You know, security updates are available and kind of uh, enabled on all of your devices, whether, again, whether this is government furnished equipment or whether you're empowering some sort of bring your own device type of uh, capacity to accessing the remote workforce. It's also important that you've got some mechanisms to be able to mobilize a strategy in the event that something catastrophic is going to happen. I think for a lot of organizations, it's really no longer a matter of if a cyber incident is going to take place during the next several weeks or months, it's a matter of when. How prepared are you to be able to express your resolve and be able to put a team in place to be able to go remediate and do the cleanup?
0: So the CISL might be in pajamas, but the cybersecurity program's got to be dressed for the show.
1: At all times, right? And, and, and much like is the case for the healthcare professionals who are doing you know God's work across the globe, right? Great work. Uh, And I I don't think this is a perfect analogy, but but everyone is being taxed and tested beyond their conventional limits, right? So security professionals are being forced to work, shift work, working around the clock. And what that does is that introduces physical and mental fatigue, right? Again, the adversaries are anticipating this, right? And so they are uh, attempting to wreak their havoc, you know, during the middle of the night and during kind of off-peak hours, you know, maybe catching someone when they're not their sharpest. Um, but they do need to be prepared to work around the clock. And we're encouraging uh, the federal government and, and all of our customers and prospects to make sure that they've got basic things in place, like having an incident response retainer, right? How can you leverage industry professionals to support you in kind of a surge capacity uh, when you're at your weakest and when you're at your most vulnerable?
0: James Yeager is Vice President of Public Sector and Healthcare at cybersecurity company CrowdStrike. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for your time. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand and on your device. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One.